I'm Luke Story. I'm Christine Loria. I'm Natasha Kingsbury. I'm Angie Check. I am Dr. Aaron Eugene McMorrow. I'm Ben Joseph Stewart. I'm Bliss Young. I am Dr. Jacob Egbert. I'm Kyle Kingsbury. I'm Lily Nichols. I'm Mark Groves. I'm Sarah Gustafson. I'm Jesse Golden. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein. I'm Marin Green. I'm Kelly Brogan, MD. Hi, this is Kimberly Ann Johnson. Je m'appelle Rick Safries, et c'est le podcast du Gynécologue Holistique. Hello, I'm Paul Check, and this is the Holistic OPGYN Podcast. Enjoy. Welcome back, podcast fam. This little tweener episode's a normal length interview, but my guest was really, uh, he has some programs he's, he's launching in the near future, and he, he preferred if we could release the episode a little bit earlier. So I, I'm doing m- my man a, a solid here and releasing this episode a little early. And I think it's important because the work that my guest does in the world is critical, whether you are in any stage of your own healing or if you're coaching or desire to coach people in the future. Mark England brings a lot to the plate. It was recommended that I connect with Mark from a variety of people, Ryan Sprague, Rachel Veratimos, Alex and Jody Morningstar, Mike Bledsoe, Mike Salemi. So many people seemed to know this guy. And so finally, we managed to link up on the phone. Mark was like, you know what? You're only in Louisville. I'm in Virginia. Let me just drive up there and we'll hang out. So it seemed like overnight, bam. I got Mark England driving to me from Virginia. Still didn't really know much about him, but he got here. We went on a little hike with our, with my dog, took him to brunch, and then we recorded this incredible podcast. While we were at lunch, by the way, Mark sat patiently drinking his coffee while I tended to an older woman who had tripped on the threshold of the door and had um, she had recently had surgery, so she had drop foot and she tripped, smashed her face on the ground and had a cut over her eyebrow. Both of her lips were bleeding, her nose was bleeding. And the staff there was frantic. So I said, hey, Mark, you know, duty calls. I went over and I said, let, let me just have your first aid kit. I'm a doctor. I'll take care of this. And for our benefit, they comped our brunch. They gave us a bag of pastries, delicious pastries from Blue Dog Bakery. Thank you, Blue Dog, here in Louisville. The best French bakery around, <laughs> maybe next to a real Parisian bakery. But while I was doing all this, Mark wasn't annoyed. He had driven all the way here, but he just sat and he drank his coffee and he um, just chilled. And then we went to the house and he patiently waited as I set up the podcast gear and we made a little fire and we blew some tobacco and it was just a really stellar guy. And I think that, you know, I asked him, how do you show up in the world? Tell me a story. And he, and he really reflected on um, how necessary he thought it was to come to Louisville to hang out and, and to get to know somebody else who's working very hard in this space. Me. I think that says a lot about somebody, you know, he's not just invest as little as possible to get the, to get the maximum benefit. This guy shows up and he puts up and he, he's a, he's a real great guy. So if you don't know, Mark, he's the co-founder and head coach of Enlifted. He has another company called Procabulary and I can, I've taken his core language program through Procabulary and it really does. It's so simple, so commonsensical. But when you start to reflect on how you use language, how does it reflect how assertive you are? How does it reflect how confident you are? How does it reflect how you see yourself in the mirror? This, the language we use to describe ourselves matters. And the reason I thought it was important to bring Mark onto the podcast is because so many of my clients have been sick for so long, or they've been frustrated about their health. Let's take fertility, for example. What is that self-talk? How do you talk about this journey around fertility? How do you talk about your relationships? How do you talk about your sex life? Because the, what you say matters. 
what you say matters. And if you're, if you're familiar at all with my work, I, I talk about the physical, mental, and emotional and spiritual aspects of health, particularly as it pertains to fertility, how it pertains to our long-standing health, whether we have chronic health, uh, health issues or we're trying to just optimize from an already great baseline. The words that we use, how we talk to our partner, how do we talk to ourselves when we're laying down at night and there's no distraction, it's just you and your brain telling you things. The words that we use matter. And Mark always finishes, you know, signs his emails and whatnot with abracadabra, which literally translates to with my words I create. So this is the mental part. This is a, a really, really hard aspect of your health to pick apart and to utilize. But he gives you the simplest tools through vocabulary. He's also the head coach of Enlifted. And at Enlifted, this is really a program for anybody who's already coaching or wants to start coaching. They want to have the skills and confidence to make it as a coach. You're not going to get great results if you're not coaching your clients, your patients, if you're a doctor, whatever, around the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. And this mental piece is really overlooked. So at Enlifted, you know, you're going to find this is a specialty certification program. This is going to be in, as a complement to your whatever, your physical therapy training, your CrossFit certification, heck, your medical degree and your specialty training. You're going to learn the power of words and stories and how to dismantle this dreaded victim mentality. If you just keep telling yourself, I'm sick, I'm broken, I'm not going to be able to do it. I'm not going to be able to get healthy. I'm not going to be able to get pregnant. You're right. Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. And lift a level one certification, as I mentioned, is, is, is really for anybody out there who has patients or clients coming them for insights and help. You know, Mark has developed this program over years. He's been coaching for coaching, researching, and presenting on the power of words and stories for at least 16 years. He has a master's degree in education. He was an elementary school PE teacher, believe it or not, before he stepped and walked into the personal development world. And that's really where he has found so much success. If you decide to go through the Enlifted certification program, which by the way, you can find at Enlifted, E-N-L-I-F-T-E-D dot me, you're going to be in good company. Mike Salemi, who's a dear friend of mine, he has the Kettlebell Lifestyle Program. He's a part of my PRP fertility program. He's a level three coach. Dennis Morolda, level two. Joel Cochran, level two. Chase Tolleson, level three. Ryan Sprague has, has gone through the coaching program. And there's so many people in the space that are utilizing Mark's tools. And Mark is the sort of uh, <laughs> the father of this program. And so many people know him, have connected with him, and have been inspired by him. So you can do that too. Go to enlifted.me if you want to check out the Enlifted Level 1 certification. I highly recommend it. And then lastly, the uh, Enlifted Coaching Program also has a podcast. It's called Get Enlifted. It's for coaches and anyone, really, who wants to empower their words and stories. <laughs> the podcast is not only highly entertaining, but there's so much valuable information shared. The host is Kimberly Kesting, another Enlifted coach. And she's going to, through conversations with her interviewees, help you build your skills with language. I can't recommend Mark's programs enough, and it was such an honor to host him at my house for a day and to record this, this interview. So please, 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 please enjoy this episode. Check out Mark's work. Check out the Get and Lifted podcast. Yeah, I'll just let the, the rest of the interview speak for itself. Mark, tell me a story that will uh, illustrate how you show up in the world. You're well known in my circles, but for people who don't know you about showing up is showing up. Uh, once upon a time, I flew from 
Koh Samui, Thailand to Los Angeles to do a podcast. <laughs> that's, that's called showing up. Um, what, what podcast was that? Barbell Shrugged in, in January 20th, 2017. Oh, you even remember the day. I do, because it was a big <laughs> deal. Um, shout out to Mike Bledsoe and uh, Doug Larson and Kenny Kane. Say, uh, yeah, those were the guys that interviewed me. Um, this is an example of showing up. You and I had a great conversation, um, which included the very pleasant surprise that we know a lot of the same people. Yeah. Really good people. And I got off that call and I'm like, Louisville's only eight hours away. I can drive there. And, uh, I've been on, I've been on some podcasts and I know that they're even cooler when you go in person. Yeah. I lived in, in Bangkok for five years. And one of my roommates there was, was Rafi Frankel, uh, now doctor Rafi Frankel. And he was the valedictorian of his high school, the valedictorian of uh, his, his university. And I go, dude, what's your secret? He goes, 90% of it is just, you, you show up, you keep showing up. Yeah. And he's right. Yeah. It's, it's get good at something and get on the scene. It's one of James Brown's eight laws. Stay on the scene. <laughs> Don't take no smack. That's another one. <laughs> <laughs> just show up. Yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. I kind of knew that about you as soon as you and I had gone on the uh, phone call. It wasn't hard to get you on the phone, by the way. I mean, you were like, Hey, how about 3 PM on Friday? doesn't work. 2 PM on Monday, whatever. Let's just get on the phone. We've got a number of people. You mentioned a couple already. Kyle Kingsbury is a mutual friend, Tosh Kingsbury, Ryan Sprague, uh, Ryan's partner, Rachel, Jason Skisick, who's, um, you know, leads this business coaching group that I'm a part of. And the list just goes on and on. Yeah. Yeah. So we got on the phone and, uh, you have a very special gift, I would say. Maybe it's not a gift because I think it, it actually was something you developed and cultivated, but you, you found this little treasure of, uh, being attracted to how people use words and language and how the way that we use language can actually change our reality. So tell us about Abracadabra. Let's start there. Do you see my medallion? Saw I'm it. blinging it. <laughs> I learned about Abracadabra uh, at lunch in Vilcabamba, Ecuador in 2013. I was living down there of all places. Hmm. And um, we were about to lunch with a group of people. And one of the guys said... Um, just some ash from yeah, the fire it's, it's, here. It's, it's good. Landing in your beard. All good. It's better than that blob <laughs> egg of yolk. egg yolk. Yeah. Um, we'll more of that on, more, more, more on that later. And he said it very just nonchalant. I'm, I'm a, and he knew what I was into, words and stories. And he goes, hey, Mark, you know what abracadabra means? And I'm like, yeah, 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 magic. And he goes, no, there's, there's uh, a lot more to it than that. Uh, he said abracadabra, and by all means, look this up, is Aramaic which is a very ancient language, uh, still spoken in some parts of the Middle East. It was the language that Jesus spoke, if I recall. Is that right? Yeah, he spoke two languages, Aramaic and Hebrew. Mm. And it's the language the original Old Testament was written in. And abracadabra translates to, with my word I create, or with my word I influence. And it was one of those hair on the arm yeah. moments. I was like, yeah. And I put my fork down. I went over there and I said, tell me everything. And, and um, teachers of the day, they would triangulate it. 
and wear it around their neck to remind them of the power and the mechanism because there's a there's mechanics to storytelling there's building blocks of stories words and they would wear it around their neck to remind them of that and then they also believe that it would siphon out negativity or dispel negativity dispel means to cast out dispel spells that whole thing and um I've been talking about it since, and it's a very cool way to either start or enhance the conversation about how our language works for us and against us. Um, And it's a great way to bring it up with kids, too. Hey, kids, you know what abracadabra means? Yeah, magic. Yes, and it's even cooler than that. And and (laughs) yeah, so um, I got one made. You got it right around your neck there. Yeah. I love it's a it. Nice, nice reminder. I got it on my wallet. I mean, it's all over the place. That's your jam. Yeah, this is from Jody Morningstar. Shout out to Jody because oh, she's yeah. the one that put us in touch. She sent me this wallet um, with Abracadabra laser etched into it. That's right. Um, Jody put us in touch too. That's right. As a, I sent her the picture of you and I. Oh, oh sweet. She was like, "Oh my yeah. god!" Spreading the word. The oh good yeah. Word. Well, as you're Johnny Appleseeding word magic yeah. around the planet. A part, big part of your success in the space, and the reason I'm uh, really interested in talking to you on this podcast, which everybody thinks is all about women's health and this and that, yeah. But even my fertility program, we you know we work on four levels. We work on the physical. That's where most doctors stop. We get into the mental. We get into the emotional and the spiritual. And on the mental side, a lot of the language that people bring into conversations um, with me as their doctor or their birth attendant or whatever. There's a lot of little, they're not even euphemisms. It's, it's, a, it's a, a, a habituated, conditioned way of speaking. I'm not good enough. I'm not enough. My partner does this to me. The world is happening to them at all times. And in order to fix our health, fix our relationships, we have to be very, very thoughtful about how we show up in language. So your first course you were telling me on our hike this morning was all about the victim archetype. Let's start by there, by, by that. I, I had Greg Schmaus, who's a, a friend of mine through the Czech sort of tribe, and he thinks very deeply about this and how um, these archetypal transitions actually into parenthood, for example, require you first to know yourself. And many of us, many of us have adopted a victim mentality. Stuff's happening to me, not for me. There's no opportunity here. Woe is me. And a lot of people have been through some really shitty things. So I don't want to diminish that, but you can't undo those things. It's water under the bridge. So what is our response to that? And that's where we're talking about archetypes. And I think language reflects this archetype, this patterning that we develop in our life. So let's talk a little bit about archetypes and uh, what you think about the use of language as a reflection of the victim archetype. Good place for me to uh, recite the definition of the victim mentality. I believe we mentioned this on on the walk this morning, we paid a, a guy to, uh, the word is scrape all of our social posts and comments. This is a few years ago to find out what people were most interested in as far as what we were talking about. And he came back and he said, it's the victim mentality. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's not even a close second. So if you all have a pen, there are very few people that have heard the definition of the victim mentality. Okay. Further, fewer still people that have written it down. Mm. Now, I come from an education background. I was an elementary school sports teacher. I've got a degree in education. So I enter into these conversations. Um, it's, it's a conversation and it's also a, a learning opportunity. 
important numbers. We remember 30% of what we hear, 50% of what we write, and 80% of what we teach or share. Mm. And so if you pick up a pen and write down, I'm going to do this twice. If you write down the definition of the victim mentality, you're going to get an extra 20% retention on it. And it's going to put you in a, an exclusive club of people that have written it down pen to paper. Spells. The victim mentality is an acquired personality trait where a person tends to regard himself or herself as the victim of the negative actions of others, even in the absence of clear evidence. The victim mentality depends on a habitual thought process and attributions. It feeds off of that, in other words. It has to have it in order to create it and and a continual use of these same habitual language patterns, also known as certain words put together Right. In order to maintain it. To, so to script it initially and then to, to maintain it. And that second sentence is right between the eyes, right where it belongs. The victim mentality depends, as in it has to have, a habitual thought process and attributions. We'll get to the attributions here in a second. Also known as characteristics. Habitual. That word accurately implies duration and addiction. Most people, I've done this more times than I can count in workshops. Raise your hand if you know someone who's got an entrenched, inflamed dumpster fire of a victim mentality. And most people raise their hand and I ask them first, what's their life like? And it's never a good description of uh, someone enjoying themselves. And then I ask them, what's it like being around that person? They're like, oh my God, it's so draining. It's draining. It just sucks the air right out of the room. Because being in the victim mentality, scripting victim-centric stories is stressful in nature, also known as sympathetic nervous system response. The stronger the victim mentality, the more strongly the breath is trapped in someone's chest. Mm. And that's, that's the characteristic. That's the attribution at the end. That's, that's, so we pay attention to a few things about how language influences us for better and for worse. And the main one outside of the words is the breathing. So when someone's breath is trapped in their chest, it's super easy, almost inevitable to take stuff personally. It's super easy to be on edge. It's super easy to be tense and tight and rigid in your body and sleep schedules get wrecked and your listening skills go way down. It's called amygdala hijack. The human body is negation acknowledged, not designed to thrive in prolonged extended bouts of stress. Right. Okay. We're designed to thrive in a parasympathetic nervous system response most of the time. Can, is that most yeah. people would agree with that? And what, what that is, is when we're breathing low and slow. Mm. Okay. Also known as uh, rest and digest or feed and breed, mm-hmm. you know, very on brand for this, this conversation, breath trapped in the chest. It gets in the way. Let's just say everything, the second and third most often purchased over the counter prescription medications are indigestion medications and constipation medications. Oh wow. That's and in interesting. My, yeah. In my layman personal and professional opinion, that's because most people's breath is trapped in their chest. And when that happens, we we do not digest, circulate, or eliminate well yeah. or as well as we could when the body feels safe. Mm. 
Okay. And when you start looking at the habitual thought processes that script the victim mentality, it's, it's, (laughs) it's the best of news and it's the worst of news because there's a game to play. Yeah. There's a game to play and shit, I got to take responsibility for this story. This, because look at the words, you know, I've had a hard life. Look at the words. I've had a hard life. Take out life, put in story. Mm. Mm-hmm. I've had a hard story. Hmm. And then that word had, it makes me on the receiving end of it. It puts me as a spectator. Mm. Take out had, put in create. Created. I've created a hard story. So there's there is some uncomfortability to getting into the arena about how we tell ourselves stories also known as mindset, also known as identity. Like I said, it's the best of news and it's it's the worst of news. And most people are innocent bystanders in their story. Yeah. They're non-playable characters, NPCs, they're they're spectators in the stands. And that is existentially stressful. And from there, it you know, like we were talking about with the podcast it, I listen, I listen to four uh, of, my of your podcasts on the way up here. Super cool. Uh, Charles Eisenstein was talking about separation, the spell of separation. You know, it's it's very hard for me to enjoy being in your company or anyone else's company or even my company when I'm telling myself a shitty story and my breath is trapped in my chest and I'm tight and rigid in my body. Yeah. Okay. And other people pick up on that. Yeah. You know, go out on a date and hold your breath in your chest. Your conversation skills are going to go down. The other person's going to feel weird. And and then you just go out on a date and breathe well. Yeah. Okay. You'll have a, a, a dialogue instead mm. of a monologue. Mm. Mm-hmm. So that's what we do. We help people learn about how their words, their language is influencing them for better and for worse. Also known as creating awareness about it and how to tell better stories because that's, we have a working definition of mindset. Yeah. That's a great question to ask anyone who's in a mindset space. What is it? And if they can't negation, they can't tell you real fast. So it's the story you tell yourself. It's the story you tell yourself. (sighs) This plays out in my work in such dramatic ways. So, and, and so I really love where this is going. A big part of my platform, especially recently with what the world just went through with this, COVID thing has been a lack of personal responsibility. It has been everything is happening to me, whether you like legislation or you don't like legislation, the right guys in office, the wrong guys in office, the data supports the vaccine, the data doesn't support the vaccine. What happened to a person just taking a pause and making a decision that feels right to them? Because that requires you to take radical responsibility for your actions. Yes. Which comes great power. The flip side, like you said, it's the greatest news or the, or, or the, the best news or the worst news. You also have to accept responsibility for the outcome of your decisions. So I think we've been conditioned so much over our lives to outsource our power to other people, whether it's mommy and daddy. Some people, they're well into adulthood and they still have to lean on mommy and daddy for advice. And I don't mean like, hey, dad, what would you do about this? I mean... Uh, they are trapped in this uh, sort of childlike state where they don't feel like they have the resources or the fortitude to make decisions for themselves. And as soon as you become a parent, everything falls on you. So I know that you're not a parent, but 
this doesn't just play out in parenthood. It plays out in how we give birth. It plays out in how we die. It, it plays out as healthcare professionals in standing up and saying, something about this isn't right. And it's critical. It is my role in society to actually put my foot down and say, hold on a second, park the brakes. I have a half a million dollars in debt for 14 years of education and training. It's my responsibility to make a decision as to how I'm going to approach this dilemma in healthcare, of course, um, or as a parent, it is on me to make a decision as to how I show up in this uh, arena. And when you've been conditioned your whole life to outsource it to mommy and daddy, to your priest, pastor, religious leader, whatever, to politicians, you have stripped yourself of the adult decision-making power that is required for you to be an adult. And what you're saying about this story we tell ourselves is, I can't do this because of blank, or that person did this to me, fill in the blank. I mean, there's a million you know, versions of that story that we tell ourselves. If you want to get pregnant on your own terms, give birth on your own terms, live the healthiest, most vital life, hell, have great sex, you need to actually accept that the decisions and the story that you tell yourself is the foundation for whatever is to come after that. So maybe you can give us some examples. I know you've done some couples, a lot of couples counseling and therapy. You've got this great coaching program. This is really everything you do is to help people reflect in the mirror, look in the mirror first off, and then reflect on the language that they tell themselves about how they show up in the world or what their role is as a parent, as a coach, whatever. Why don't we start with actually, uh, you sent me your course, Procabulary, if anybody's interested, go and check out Mark's course. It's, it's, the simplest, most impactful course I think I've ever actually taken because it's like 21 straight days, eight minute videos at max. And it is so commonsensical that it's like, it's like <laughs> the elephant's been sitting there and you just finally noticed it. It's like the exercise of the black and white basketball, you know, yeah. uh, t-shirts, yeah. you know, there's a white team and a black team. And then this bear Invisible goes in gorilla. the middle yeah. or a, a gorilla. Yeah. yeah. Why don't you talk a little bit about uh, conflict language and, and architect language, if I am remembering the, the terms correctly. Yep. First time I ever saw this stuff, 2003, I fell in love on site because I had a an entrenched, inflamed dumpster fire of a victim mentality going on about a my woulda, coulda, shoulda fight career yeah. okay, that didn't. And uh, I went to an emotional detoxification seminar, which I snickered at. That's a name. I'm like, emotional detox. <laughs> I went though. This is down at the, the spot yeah. we were talking about. Yeah. And uh, the guy talked about words and stories and breathing and identity. And then he asked, is there anyone who's got stuck with a story bothering you? And this woman shot her hand up and she told the story of a very <laughs> humiliating breakup. Her and her friends go down to beach week. They get a house. This is in college. Her boyfriend and his friends get the house next door, add alcohol, press play. <laughs> and he hooked up with her best friend in front of everybody the night before and then dumped her in front of everybody Ooh. the next night. We can all play. Cold-blooded. Cold turkey, man. You can, you can uh, uh, as, yeah. the great, as the great poet uh, Rick James once said. <laughs> Ouchie. <laughs> and, and he had her play the story, tell the story three times. The first time she told the story, he didn't touch it. And she's, she's angry and crying. And the second time through, he said, tell that same story again. And he made a couple adjustments with the words. And that third time through, this guy knew what he was doing. 
It goes that sentence right there. Stop. Repeat that. He did that to me. Everybody hear that? There's about 30 people in the sala. Yes. And say it again. He did that to me. Got it? Take out that last word and put in himself. And you, the world went from flat to round. And it was such a radical departure from this story that she'd been relentlessly telling herself, because that's part of the issue. Byron Katie says, reality is kinder to us than we are to ourselves. Something happens once, and we replay the story thousands of times and blame life. And she goes, "He, he, he did that. To himself, and it went up at the end. It's called up talk, which means it's a question. Mm. When before it was a statement of damnation, he did that to me, which is a projection. Yeah. And two, because two plus two equals four, man, for me, for everybody, her, and what I mean by that is he did that to me, forces her to create the victim villain mental imagery. He's in the picture, she's in the picture, she's on the receiving end of this thing once again for the umpteenth time that day. And all the other days prior to it happening four years ago, right? And he, wow. he he did that to himself. And then you see it catch and the breath release. <sighs> he did. He did do that to himself. And then she started talking about uh, the friends that he lost and all the other stuff. And then, then you see her walk herself out of that reality, that identity, and into another reality, another identity. And she goes, well, you know, that was never going to work out anyway. It was actually really weird. <laughs> yeah. And I saw that and I said, that, right? There's like that meme from uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. Where yeah. he's got the beer and the cigarette and he's like poking at the, because f- that, that, that wasn't my story, but that was my story. That guy shouldn't have kicked me that hard. We weren't, we were warming up. Mm. And a bunch of other stuff. And this thing has held my attention since. I've been historically a horrible student. Uh, a D and C student, uh, and I'm pretty sure they just gave me the D's and C's to get me out the door. Because it wasn't that <laughs> just, I was disruptive. Can't have I was this guy repeat I was this course destructive. <laughs> I was bored out of my mind in middle school and in high school and even college. And and so for something, and when I mean something, I mean the language and the story game, the word game. It ha- it has held my attention since it's i've been attracted to it since attraction is not a choice since the day that i saw that and i've been somewhere between full time and overtime the whole time for the past 16 years since 2007 when i first put my poster up at, at that same spa a yeah. couple years later yeah. like we were talking about and i've been i've been doing this thing relentlessly since and so there are three pillars of conflict language Okay, which before was called conflict language, it was called victim mentality language. Accurate to the definition as it is, it's too strong of a place to, to start the conversation like we, we talked about. Yeah. And so that's one, projections. She never lets me think for myself. She, she, she's controlling me. Part of the art to this whole thing is slowing down the story so we can take a look under the hood. Yeah. Slowing down the story so we can take a look at the words. Our man Alan Watts said it. When we learn to think about our thinking, we become alive in a new way. Mm. Most people are not thinking about their thinking. They're thinking. There's a difference. And 
it's the only verse I know from the Bhagavad Gita. And it says, self-reflection will take man further than prayer. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true. And it's interesting to contemplate. It's very interesting to contemplate. She's, she never lets me do what I want to do. Once again, victim, villain, I'm in the picture. She's in the picture. I'm on the receiving end. I've got to wait for her to change in my imagination before I can finally live my best life. And, and then, I, you know, let's say I rep that four or five times while I'm out at work. And then I walk in to the house, into the kitchen, and something's not quite right. And I explode. And she's like, huh? And then, <laughs> and then everybody goes Ooh, into there. stress response. We all have. Because this is an education issue. This is not an intelligence or deservance issue. We're not taught this stuff in school. I came up in the public schools. I've got, like I said, I got a degree in education. I didn't have one course, class, or conversation on either sides of that fence about how my language, and, and, and when I say language, I mean internal dialogue and external dialogue. What we think, what we say, and what we write, how my language influences me for better and for worse. And most people, most people's education about their language comes down to regular spelling, grammar, and definitions. There's way more to it than that. So our language, back to abracadabra, with our words we create, with our words we influence, keeping it very simple because we're good at that, our language influences four key aspects of our experience of ourselves: Our imagination, also known as the pictures and the movies we make, our feelings and emotions, our energy, our Again, simple posture. What do you mean by posture? You ever talked yourself into a bad mood? Of course you have. Talk yourself into a bad mood and stay there and watch what happens. Eventually it starts to, yeah. maybe not, it's not that, maybe not that But you make yourself small, you cover like up the, your, exactly. your neck. Your, yeah, yeah. A thousand percent. Uh, talk yourself into a good mood and watch what happens. It's like, eh, things are looking up. Superhero form. Yeah. Yeah, the shoulders come back yeah. and it's like, okay, yeah. <laughs> and and then, then our breathing. Most people's language is unbeknownst to them, working against them, keeping them in a in a some flavor or grade of sympathetic nervous system response, stress response, and the breath gets trapped in the chest. And when the breath gets trapped in the chest, a variety of things happen. One of them is our listening skills go down, which you've talked about. I listened to you say in, in a variety of different contexts, the value and the rarity of presence on those yeah. podcasts that I was listening to on the way up, the more trapped and jacked my breath is, the less present I am. The more trapped my breath is in my chest, the more off in a story I am somewhere. Uh, my listening skills go down. I get tunnel vision. Okay. I lose access to my creative faculties. And that's just what's happening on my side of the street. We've all been in a room where people are, for whatever reason, holding their breath. That's that whole cut it. You can cut it with a knife thing. When someone says that, they're describing a room full of people holding their breath. And, And so when we talk about words and how they influence us, we focus on those four things, imagination, feelings, and emotions, posture, and breath. She, she never lets me do what I really want to do. And if I, if I only, if I'm not thinking about my thinking, if I'm just thinking, I'm going with that. Yeah. Right. And let's get honest, man. What's more seductive than our own voice in our own head? It's, it might be the most seductive thing in the world. And, and it's so, it's beyond close to home. Whatever, whatever beyond close to home is, that's it. It's right between our ears. It's in our head. It's our own voice in our own head. 
It's right between our ears. It's right under our nose, as in what comes out of our mouth, and it's right at the end of our fingertips. And if I have not educated myself that I have a choice in what words I put together in my sentences, then I don't even have a draft to hand in. Like yeah. I haven't even, we'll get to that in a second when it, when it comes to writing. Cause it, cause it, and when you do learn there's a game to play. Okay. And you, you raise your awareness about things <laughs> <laughs> and you go, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. She's not really letting, she, she's not letting me do what I really want to do. Take out the she put in I. Mm. And now what I've just done is I've taken her out of the picture and it's just me and me. Okay. They're in my way. She's, he's in my way. Who's gotten in my way more than me, man. It's not even, there's not even a close second to use those words again. And, um, projections. That's one of the pillars of conflict language. Formerly let, let me pause and let, let me, let me give a, 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 uh, sorry for cutting you off. Mark. Please was, do. I, I just, I'm so excited about this because this is something that's not talked about especially given what we all just went through for the last couple mm-hmm. of years. I think people probably have a pretty good handle on where you and I might stand if there was a clear polarity pro or against anything that happened in the past couple of years. So take we're not going to get a into guess. that. It's a good guess. I, I think people will have a pretty solid 80% are going to guess right. But I don't even really care about the polarity. I actually don't care what my neighbor decided to do. Sure. Truly don't care. Now, There could be reasons why you might not want to copulate with that person or get blood donated from that person or whatever. That's not the the point. What has happened in our society on every issue from cannabis to abortion to whatever is that that dummy over there voted in a certain way that made it so this issue is standing firm. And I wish that issue was different. It's that person's fault or this elected official's fault that I, that my life is like this as if it even really impacts it. So I'm, I'm taking a 15,000 foot view of this, but on the macro, this is happening on every layer of our society for most people and how they show up in the world. We're under the spell of separation. We're under the spell of separation. We were talking about Daniel Quinn's book, the takers and leavers, dude, Ishmael. If anybody hasn't read Ishmael, stop listening to this podcast. (laughs) This, this, uh, you know, this is doctor's just a orders. podcast, doctor's orders, Listen go in doctor. and on Amazon, get a copy of Ishmael, read it, and then come back and finish the conversation. The pimp hand on that book is as strong as any. I bet he went through like a hundred revisions. It is perfectly, it's a perfectly concise 150 pages that will absolutely rock your world and empower you to show up in a, in a different light, let's say. Let's talk about the story of separation real quickly, because I actually think that the story of separation feeds off of this language that we use. It continues to foster this idea that you and me, you're wearing a Trump hat. I'm wearing a whatever hat. I won't, I will put the Trump hat on you. That guy's wearing a Trump hat. That guy's got like a Gojo Biden shirt or whatever. And they think that they are ruthless enemies based on some fabricated story that told them you have to pick this side or this side. I I always tell people during COVID, I was kind of sitting up on the top of the fence trying to get each side to see what they maybe don't realize that they actually agree on, that we all actually want to live happily with our neighbors. No pun intended. That's high level. Yeah. Well, thank you. (laughs) Um, But when you do that, you get hit with stones from both sides. 
because they don't see what's on the other side. They're just now hitting the guy that they can see on the top of the fence. So what you're describing here is actually a technique for us to maybe discharge this anode and cathode that gives us the illusion that there is a true separation in right and wrong. I like to live in the gray. Having said that, everybody knows how I feel about everything that happened over the past couple of years. So without getting into that, let's talk about the story of separation mm-hmm. and how this language fuels that. I think you've already done a good job, but let's, let's pick the story of separation up a little bit. Let's go a little deeper on that, if we can. We, soft-talking knowledge, might need Charles Eisenstein for that, because one thing I'm not is... Charles, it's, come on out, buddy. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, you're, you're up, Charles. I'm not a deep thinker. I was listening to you guys talk, and I'm like, a lot of this stuff. I mean, I, I, I'm tracking it, and a lot of this stuff is 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 over my head. I'm uh, without the doctorate. I'm known behind the scenes as Doctor Simple. It's like I'm I am a I'm a simple man of mediocre intelligence with a handful of MMA fights and <laughs> you know, a very simple way of of looking at things. So take what I say. Know who you're listening to. <laughs> um, take it with a grain of salt. When I'm in a stress response and my breath is trapped in my chest, I'm disconnected from everything. Okay, and I don't, I don't need to get all universal consciousness on anything. I just say I'm, I'm separated from the people in my house, even though I love them. Okay, or I'm separated from life. Mm. What's more existentially terrifying than isolation? Yeah. It's a scourge. It's rampant. The victim mentality is, it's that's the real, what's the difference, pandemic, epidemic? Pandemic would be, you know, let's say there's an infectious disease killing a bunch of people in my neighborhood versus every neighborhood. That's pan. It's covering a much larger region. This that's the real pandemic. Yeah. This thing it it's the thief in the night and it's I mean it's beyond rampant. It's it's inherited. I mean our language is an inheritance. And yeah. Our language is an inheritance. Breathing patterns are inherited. Children b- inherit their parents' breathing patterns. Very rarely do children in a high stress environment, also known as everybody holding their breath for most of the time, if not all the time, come out cool, calm, and collected. We pattern these things and take out separation, just put gets in the way and makes things harder. And it's not fun. It's very hard to, to celebrate things stressed. Yeah. Yeah. It's very hard to be creative when stressed. And those, those two things create, for, for me at least, existential comfort. Like I was, I was talking about in the garage. I yeah. after after ten years of doing this full time, the language game, I wifed it in my head and in my heart and with my words. And I'm gonna do it for fifty years. It's like it's the most important thing because I know how I want to die. I want to look back with that under my belt, or at least let's say I get thirty seven in or twenty seven, leaving this whatever it is, knowing that I I I got up to the plate and I took a major swing. Yeah, I have to have that in my isness for me to go. That was worth it. Whatever this is, yeah. life, my life, my yeah. I, that's how I'll be able to say my life was worth living. Yeah, and the more garbage stories that I make that include way too many people 
in my head gets in the way of me doing that. I'm going to prove them all wrong. I just did a very interesting podcast with a guy named Kevin Wood uh, about uh, what the real pre-workout is for the fitness industry. And it's not a bunch of caffeine and guarana <laughs> extract. It's in duck walks. And and uh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh no, it's, it's, it's trash stories. Wow. It's stories of a victim centric nature. It's, you know, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll see, I'll make him see what he missed out on and all this stuff that fuels people's workouts and they get raged and they lift harder and push harder. And Oh dude, it's, you mean? it's, it, that's exactly what I mean. And it's, you can you can literally see it on their faces. It's not resting bitch face. It's active asshole face. You know, <laughs> my, <laughs> it's like happy people don't lift heavy weights. <laughs> and you know what? They can, or you can lift weights with a smile on your face. Talk about that. So let's talk about the translations. Let's talk about yeah. turning that pre-workout. One big thing people seek me out for is weight loss advice. And yeah. I'm like, are we sleeping well, eating well, moving well? Are we doing all that stuff first? That's the physical. Are we going to move now to the mental? Sure. That's where the self-talk comes in. This mm-hmm. plays into fertility. It mm-hmm. plays into training yourself to have a baby. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about translating some of that language, that pre-workout. They'll, they'll, I'll show them that they missed out on opportunity not hiring me or, or you know, see who's laughing now, man. Yeah. It's like, yeah, dude, like. It's very lonely being over there in that, that space. Back, back to the separation part. Yeah. I can, I can talk, but I can't talk about quantum quarks and protons and stuff, but I can, I can talk about yeah. like that, what people's yeah. stories are in the gym and what that does to their face. I mean, I, I've ended my fight career with a victim centric story. Mm. Okay. That's what got me to overtrain when I should have been resting. Yeah. That's what got me to hold my breath during intense MMA training. Rolling, grappling, uh, tie boxing, all, all that. And to quote Brian Jones of the Brian Jones Rock and Roll Revival out of La Jolla, California, he said, it doesn't matter what you're doing. If you hold your breath, you're going to hurt yourself. Mm. And that could be a physical injury. That could be an emotional injury. Get up on stage to give a presentation and hold your breath and see if you don't come out with with an emotional injury about that psychological oh, yeah. injury. That's um, right. Yeah. So translations, you mind if I do the other two pillars of conflict language and then talk no, about the translations? let's do that. And do, are you cold? Do you want me to grab oh, your blanket? I, I, do, I feel great. You man. feel this good? Is, this okay. is ideal. Good, good. This is ideal. You so look got, good too. Thanks, man. I yeah. appreciate it. We've got, we've got projections. The projection keywords, folks, if you got your pen, write them down. He, she, they, people's first names, mom, dad, dad, d- mom always talks to me like a child. Okay. Take out mom and put in I. Mm. Watch the watch the flavor of that one change, <laughs> and then take out the always and put in sometimes. Huh? I, yeah. Okay. Fine. Yeah. I I do sometimes talk to me like a child. All right. Okay. I don't know if it's if it's sometimes because not always always. If it's sometimes, well then you know sometimes I'm I'm kind to myself or I'm I'm supportive of myself. Cool. What words am I using when I'm more supportive of myself? And then you write those words down, and that's called saving yourself time. Yeah. Because mom treats me like a child. That can hijack your head for a day, a weekend, a week, a decade. Yeah. And a and, lifetime, dude, and just and just torch everything. Yeah, and so you take out the he's and the she's and the they's and the people's first names. Take out the government. The government's screwing me over. 
<laughs> take out the government and put in I and take a look at where you're screwing yourself over and then see the doctors, the nurses, the hospital system. Dude. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is this is we're here to dismantle the eternal victim archetype out of the consciousness of humanity and unlock its breath. I could give a fuck about the wor- the squiggles and the sounds, the language. We're known as the language people. I, I mean, I, I do because I find it fascinating. And we're known as the language people. We might as well be known as the language and the breathing people. And push comes to shove. It's about the breath. It's about the breath. I'm just interested in helping people use different words, sounds, squiggles and sounds and unlock their breathing and then watch them go. Yeah. They'll make better decisions. They'll have better relationships. They'll take better poops. I mean, I'm talking to you. I I would imagine that it's easier to have better relationships where you want to copulate more often in in more fun celebratory ways, which does influence fertility yeah when you're breathing well and you're present it's one of my six foundational principles which i borrow from the czech institute breathing people that's like what that and sleep people forget all about those yeah breathing and sleeping both parasympathetic drivers both parasympathetic drivers yeah negations i I can't spend all my money this this month it's a picture of me spending all my money (laughs) (laughs) i'm not gonna do that again there's a picture of me doing that again. Yeah. You really get into the the weeds of a negation and projection salami sandwich. <laughs> I won't let them treat me that way. You know how hard that story is to get turned around without the education and awareness about what words got you there to begin with? Look at the words. I won't negation let them projection treat me that way. Hmm. Let's slow this thing down. Pick up the pen, write down the sentence. It's the easiest thing to do. It's the easiest thing not to do. I won't let, take out them, put in me. I won't let me treat me that way. Oof, that looks a little different. Feels a little bit different. And oddly, okay, this is this is something that I find cool and spooky at the same time. And I, I quickly get to the end of my understanding of existence and metaphysics and all that stuff. We have some kind of natural, innate built-in positive feedback process for when we go like this. When we take responsibility for things, our breath unlocks, we get stronger, cleaner, more empowered energy. We're we're built to take responsibility, Mm. existentially speaking, evolutionarily speaking, because it feels good. Yeah, there there could be some sting involved, okay? But I'll tell you, there's that that I'll take a little short-term sting as opposed to, you know, a handful of decades of bumping up into my victim centricities. Sure. And so we, what we, what do we talk? We got projections on the table, negations. My driving teacher said, when I got in the car, look where you want to go. Cause you're probably going to go there. My grandmother was a third degree black belt in the art of worrying. <laughs> she was one of the best to ever do oh it. Oh my God. You totally threw me for a loop. <laughs> and, 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 only once I learned about the words did I figure out how she was doing that. And and she would use can'ts and won'ts and nots and uh, don'ts. I, I don't want you to struggle anymore, Mark. <laughs> And 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 then she then and she would she would take it upon herself like this, you know this uh, martyrdom. Yeah. And I'm suffering over here because I love you so much and I need you to 
uh, acknowledge my 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 suffering, martyring, and and total control stuff. Yeah, yeah, right. And and yeah, so negations force you, me, whoever has nothing to do with us as a person. It's just the, it's the mechanics of story to stare at worst case scenarios, isn'ts, nots, haven'ts, shouldn'ts, won'ts. Hmm. Do a great job of. Well, it's not a great job. They do do that. And then we got soft talk. Soft talk. Hell yeah. This is for you. <gasps> for my office? I've purchased 25 of these things. Uh, so if you're listening to this, it's a, um, it's a laser etched wooden soft talk keywords board. And this is right here, the third pillar of conflict language and is the gateway drug. So this is the, my 323rd podcast. I've been on talking about this one thing. Mike Bledsoe called me a one trick pony once upon a time. And I said, thank the Lord. I Cause he's right. I only do one thing. I thank God that you have one thing. Yeah, that you I do, do really thing. well. Just, I'm going to do this one got thing a handful of things for 50 I don't do that years well. and see what happens. And, um, soft. So I've on, on a lot of these podcasts at the end, they're like, what do we do? Where do we start? And it's soft talk. Mm. Okay, which does lead into what we've got for your your community at the end. And this is the easiest out of the projections. There's there's most people have a white knuckle grip on those stories that they use projections a lot with because there's a lot of emotional charge negations, translating those going from uh, what you don't want to what you do want. It takes a little mental elbow grease initially. This, on the other hand, soft talk. Don't. It's so easy. It's so easy to pluck out the maybes and the mites and the coulds and the guesses. It's almost like I'm procrastinating, Doc. I think we should improve our diet before we try to have a child. You know, maybe I'm putting a lot of pressure on myself to get pregnant. Yeah. It's it's almost like I'm comparing myself to those other mothers. Mm. Mm. This comes out with like where to have a baby as well. It's becoming increasingly popular now to have babies at home. In fact, our daughter was born right above our heads. Super cool. Uh, in our bedroom where we probably conceived her as well. And it was a very, very deliberate decision on my wife's part. Now, I think she and I both use a lot of soft talk, soft talk ever since I, I even, I'm not even through your course and I'm like, sure, the soft talk thing, that's a problem for our relationship. I know we need to iron it out, but when she said, I want to have a, I think I'm going to have a, no, <laughs> there I go with the soft talk. I'm open to having a, uh, I'm open to talking about having a home birth. I think she had decided and she wanted to see if I was on the p- same page with her, but that deliberation, when a person says, I'm thinking about, um, you know, maybe, maybe possibly, possibly uh, hopefully trying to sort of kind of, uh, possibly having a baby at home. I'm like, I don't know if that's the right decision for you. Cause I'm not hearing a hell yes from you. If it's not a hell yes, then it might be a fuck no. Cause they can't get a hell yes from that. It's impossible to get a hell yes with a sentence, that sentence that you're aiming at a target, you're contemplating an action steps with those words in there. You're going to, I'm going to, everybody listening to this podcast has got nothing to do with you. It's just the fact that these words do what they do is going to create indecision and anxiety, which is a flavor of stress. Malmodia said, I prefer the fear of making the wrong decision to the terror of indecision. And I've seen, this is when someone 
gets their head around this soft talk, as in raises their awareness to it, you, you're, you're, this brings the reticular activating system in the conversation. When your reticular activating system gets tuned to hear these things, these words, it's a wake-up call. Oh, yeah. Because you will hear them everywhere, and, and that's, and okay, bad news, good news. The good news is, is that you just pluck them out. Yeah. I think we might want to. We might want to. We want to. And then... Let's. (laughs) Exactly. Also known as, hey, are you available on this date at this time? Yeah. So the the opposite of... These words make people into inaction zeros. Yeah. Take them out and you will turn into an action hero in your own story. God, that's a t-shirt. You've got like, I've got 10 t-shirt ideas already for you talking to you today. <laughs> At your service. I've been talking about this one thing. <laughs> and, and not only are those great t-shirts, that's fun. Yeah. It's fun knowing how to use your words to move things forward in your life. Yeah. And when you're able to do that, keep the drama low, stay focused on what's important to you, get things done, then it unravels a lot of weird codependencies sure. when people feel incompetent in their life, disempowered, incompetent, something's wrong with them. Uh, you keep using this word a lot. Existentially, there's something innately wrong with them. Not good enough. Yeah. A telephobia. That's what that is. The fear of not being good enough is a telephobia. I don't know if he's right or not. That dude, And that dude's thought about this stuff. A lot too. Tony Robbins said 95% of everything boils down to a telephobia. That's an interesting thing to contemplate. Don't think about it. Don't consider it. Contemplate. Thinking, you think about it, you did it once. Consider it, you did it a couple times. Contemplation is when you stare at something until it reveals its secrets to you. Yeah. And that, my friend, is Thank yours. you. I think this is, uh, you know, we were talking a little bit about sales, both you and I. Mm-hmm. We're going to put this up here so other, you know, people can continue to admire my new placard. I know exactly where I'm going to put it to. In sales, right? So ever since I left the medical system, I've been in high demand because there's not too many people that do what I do. And I get a lot of people that want to go initially. It was back and forth with email. Well, what about this? And I'm still thinking about this and I'm still contemplating. And I've actually started just saying, I don't think this is the right fit for you. Good luck. Not because I'm trying to be a dick, but because if it's not a hell yes, then my system's not going to work for you. You're not going to get results. You really should spend your money elsewhere. And that's really hard for a lot of people to imagine as an entrepreneur that you're going to turn down somebody who might pay money. But the reality is that these little soft talk words actually tell me a lot about your desire to see results. Like if you and ability to commit and your ability to commit, how motivated are you? You and I agreed on one, one thing, you know, actually in our first phone call, we're not good motivators. I'm not going to motivate you. I'm not going to sell you me. I know what I do. I'm telling you, I can, I can help you, but you have to be able to help yourself. And it comes through in that first email. I'm thinking about probably, hopefully, trying one day to maybe hire you so that we could possibly, probably, hopefully get pregnant. It's a hard place to start. <laughs> and that's generous. Yeah. It, it's, a, it's, it's a hard place to live. It's impossible to start like that. Okay? It's a very hard place to live. Going back to, you know, I've had a hard life. Yeah. You know, versus I've, I've had a hard story. Versus 
I've created a hard story. No, trust me, everybody. You want that sentence, I've created a hard story, more than the sentence, I've had a hard life. Because mm. that is yours forever. It's the scarlet letter you're not getting off. I've had a hard life. And to, to Byron Katie, again, it's, you know, life happens. Reality is kinder to us than we are to ourselves. This one thing happens, and then we p- replay it a thousand times sure. and blame existence. Sure. Yeah. And I have a couple of promises in this conversation. And one of them is that if you, I'm talking to you, who's listening (laughs) to me talk, us talk. If you cut your soft talk in half, which usually takes three to six months, okay? And once people get in the game for six months, a lot of people say, I didn't believe you at first. It would take this long. And then once they go for six months, they're like, I believe you now. Mm. If you cut your soft talk in half, you will double your confidence. And that is profound. And it's free. Okay. <sighs> it's free. And it will show up first in your texts and your emails because you're looking at the words and you have the lag time to go, you know, I think we could. And then, you, okay, well, take out the think. We could take out the can take out the could put in can we we can and what will happen is you'll get a you'll get a much smoother faster response from emails and text you'll like that you'll be able to get things on the calendar more easily make stuff happen it's fun you'll sound different yeah you'll sound different and then that that chronic anxiety uh that chronic indecision will slowly and sometimes quickly dissipate out of your energy field and you'll feel different. And that's, that's why I say, don't pay attention. Don't, don't listen to me. Change some of your words and you tell me what happens. Cause that's when people are like, Oh my gosh, that simple dude with the beard was serious. I am serious. I'm also sincere about this because I, I know what happens when people change their words, when people change their words, when people improve their word choice, they improve the stories. And when people improve the stories, they improve their mindset. Take out mindset, put in identity. The current definition of identity is Webster's, not mine. It's the fact of being who or what a person is. Okay. We had some fun with that on stage, TEDx. I asked everybody, everybody being 1,800 people, it was fun to do. Uh, raise your hand if you... Uh, see yourself differently in any way now than when you were five. And it's such a comical question. It got a laugh out of the audience, which is what we were expecting. And most people can say yes to that. I hope they can. (laughs) (laughs) Our identity is not the fact of being who or what a person is. Our identity, our mindset is an ongoing story that we're participating in. Yeah. We're participating in that. And that right there is the summation of what I was blabbering on earlier about the best of news and the worst of news. Sweet. Mm. I'm telling, I'm creating this story. Fuck. I'm telling myself this story. I'm creating this story. Those three. So to, to come back to where you, you were talking about what are the translations, the translations for the projections are you take out those keywords and put in eyes. Okay. The translations for the negations is talk about what you can do. Talk about what you want to happen. Talk about what is possible. Talk about what you would like to see happen. And for soft talk, it's simply plucking the words out. Okay. 
and let's take that conversation even farther. So instead of talking about these things, I highly suggest picking up the pen and writing. That also falls under the conversation of slowing. I know of no better way to slow the conversation down than write down the words. Yeah. And look at the words. Do not, well, you can, you can do whatever you want to. Most people, when they journal, they, they journal and allow themselves to believe what they wrote. Treat it as a draft. Okay, most people don't have a draft to hand in. Remember what happened in high school? When you, well, at least I can. You didn't have a draft to hand in as opposed to a rough draft. Get the, whatever it is on paper. Okay? And that's the rough draft. That is not the final copy. That's Most of the time, people's third draft is way better than their rough draft because they've contemplated it more. Okay? They've, they've improved the configurations of the words. And right. They have a more clearer, cleaner idea. Okay, get the words and stories written on paper, and that's called drafting, and then craft them, as in take out certain words, put other words in, and you can draft and craft a story, also known as a spell. The definition of a spell, Webster's not mine is a word or a combination of words of great influence. And if you have drafted and crafted the story of how you want to proceed with your pregnancy, then you're going to create space and clarity. Right. You draft and craft. And if this is, and I'm putting you on the spot here, kind maybe, maybe not. If this is in, at all interesting, how to draft and craft stories of the pregnancy, the birth, the kind of mother that you would like to be, that you can be. It's a lot easier to be that when you've got the words that will allow you to see yourself as such and feel yourself as such on paper, drafted and crafted. I'll do a free 90-minute workshop for your audience about, and it's not about how to do it. We will do it. Hmm. And that's, that leads into part of why I decided to drive up here. I drove up eight hours yesterday. As soon as we're done here, going to bro hug him and get in the car and drive back is because this is such an interesting, this is the first time I've ever entered into the conversation of parenting and fertility and birth and child rearing with what I know to do. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go meet this guy. It's a great application of what you do. You know, I, 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 I get the sense that we probably should wrap up soon because you've got a long haul back of Virginia, less. but all right. Well, You'll have plenty to listen to on the way back home anyways, because I'll send you mm -hmm. some stuff. But um, one thing that uh, is really, really critical for people to understand about, I think, birth in general. And birth is, it doesn't matter if you're never going to have kids, you, you run away from the idea of pregnancy. It doesn't matter. It impacts you because the world that is being created is being created with every single child that comes into it, from epigenetics all the way to the the birth story itself, how we give birth is deeply impactful for how we show up in the world. And I won't, I won't philosophize further because I do a lot of that on my, on my, even on my own podcast. And of course on, on guest as a guest on other podcasts, but when people come to me and they say, I don't want to have a hospital birth, I don't want to do it. I want to have a home birth. I'm ready, whatever. I'll ask them, what is the deal with hospitals? Why are you so afraid of hospitals? You know, tell me about your birth and your, maybe your past birth experience. And they might for two hours 
with me sitting there sipping my tea, just tell me their whole story. With these tools, I can revisit that story and find the soft, the soft language or the, the soft talk. I can find the negations. I can find all of those little devices that you've already described, and we can help to reframe the picture. Because first off, telling stories is an art that has died in many ways. Now, there are people like you. And you. And me, and maybe people like Charles and some you other. You crushed a great story at Breakfast Band. Oh. <laughs> it was just so good. Which was it the the Burning Man story? It was the Burning Man story. He, oh, it, he just came so it's rants or, or or going off on a seeming tangent. It 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 only works when you come full <laughs> circle. And he did that over twenty minute. And he and shout out to you, uh, some elderly woman face planted out right in front of the cafe, and and he snaps into action and like she was she looked. She sat down for... She actually looked good afterwards. The swelling went down, her no, bleeding had cut, stopped. Cut on the eyebrow, yep. cut on the nose, cut on both, both lips. Both lips, yeah. Big and we've used some cornstarch. If anybody out there has a, a bleeder, you want to pack it with cornstarch. Just pack it in there, put some pressure on it. It will. It has a hemostatic property to it. She, FYI. They, they brought her that. into the back, where the, the which is close to where we were situated, or our table, and, and those you attended to her for 15 minutes. <laughs> she came out of there smiling. The woman that she met for lunch was smiling. They, they sat down for, no, no, she took a digger, everybody. And the wait staff was so glad that they didn't have to do that. Not that they even could have done that. Yeah. They gave us breakfast for free. They did. It was a good Listen breakfast. to your doctor, folks. Doctor. <laughs> Doctor's orders. Gosh. Yeah, we were talking about storytelling. So, so anyways, the, the, there's a therapeutic uh, quality to allowing a person to tell their story. Mm -hmm. And then there's additional therapy that can be provided when we've actually, in earnest, heard their story. We've really listened. We're present with them. And from there, we can take that story, we can revise it, we can shift it around. And I told you a couple instances where talking about, you know, C-section, for example, somebody beating themselves over the back because they had a C-section. Blame and shame. It's, I did something wrong. All this, all these negative... There's something wrong with me. Telephobia. Yeah, Yeah, I'm broken. Yeah, reframing that like this is actually a critical part of what i'm trying to do in revolutionizing maternity care in the united states is starting to reflect on the language we use to talk about birth to talk about um our role in bringing this baby into the world our role in conceiving it wasn't just penis and vagina and a baby emerges like there's more to this and um for some couples that are struggling with fertility i think that starting off with like tell me your story is something that most conventional doctors don't have time to do. But if your story starts off with like, I'm too old, uh, my eggs aren't going to work, you know, we're, we're whatever. I mean, there's all these things that people tell themselves. If that's where you're starting, you've already started on a faulty foundation. So we can clean up that language. And I really, really appreciate what you do with your courses, you know, the, the core language courses and whatnot. Do you want to talk a little bit about where people can find you and some of these, these courses in case they want to ante up yeah. pony up here and, yeah. and get yeah. a little better with this stuff ha- happily uh we certify coaches and how to first and foremost dismantle the victim mentality yeah. with words and stories in lifted dot me that's the website for our coaching certification follow us on ig we put good content up at enlifted coaches and for your audience soft talk challenge Go to enlifted.me backslash soft 
talk and you'll get a seven day soft talk challenge, which will do exactly as advertised. It'll raise your awareness. You'll start taking these. It's free. You'll start taking these, these words out of your, your language. And that has historically proven fantastic for starting the conversation about how our words can work way more for us instead of against us. My man. My buddy. Thank you for coming up all the way here to Little Louisville, Kentucky. My pleasure. Dude, I like this town. It's got a, I'm a Richmond, Virginia guy. It's got a very Richmond, Virginia, cool little big town. Cool little big town. Yeah. I watched some barges this morning on the river, tugboats and stuff. That was great. From the Galt House. Do you know the name John Galt? Do you recognize yeah. that name? Yeah. Shane Rand? Yeah. yeah. Atlas Shrugged, yeah. I always thought that was kind of funny because nobody, not everybody understands that reference. Mark, it's been a huge pleasure. Thank Likewise, you. Likewise, man. We'll send everybody your way. Thank you so much. I um, anticipate we're going to have a, a blossoming friendship here. And uh, I really For hope sure. so anyways. Yep. Yeah. Thank you. Pleasure. <laughs>